Good morning, Gator Nation. Welcome to the post signing day episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. I am your host, Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter at All Kinds Weather, on Instagram at All Kinds Weather Blog, and on Facebook and YouTube under the name In All Kinds of Weather. My co-host, Chris Yanes, is with me today as well. You can follow him on Twitter at Mr. Chris Bits. Before we get started, we got a lot to get to today. Very quick word about our sponsors slash partners. We are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, a nonprofit organization that works to send underprivileged Gator fans to the swamp. We collect donations from fans and use them to bring someone to his or her first ever Gator football game. If you believe you or someone you know is worthy of the honor for 2023, please email us, GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. As always, donations are very much appreciated, so if you'd like to donate to our cause, please go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation.com, and click on the Donate button. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. Number one, it's a veteran-owned business. Can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving the business. Two, it's run by a UF alum and diehard Gator fan. And three, they've got the personal stamp of approval from in all kinds of weather because they did our new logo and our new website and the Gator Good Foundation website and the new Gator Collective logo and the new Gator Collective website. And they do the marketing for the Charleston area Gator Club, and they've still got more Gator related stuff on the horizon. So if you're listening to this podcast and you need help in any of the aforementioned areas, rest assured Stingray Branding will more than take care of you. And with all that taken care of, Chris, got a ton to get to today. It's signing day. It's been a, a long day for me, especially traveling uh, in the in the heat of it after going to that, that dreadful performance by the Gator basketball team last night in Charlotte. Um, but Gator football has welcomed in some 20-plus new members of the Gator family. So uh, you know, before we get too deep into it, there's something that I've always – I've, I've always loved to look at, and, and that is the, the first guy to send in his letter of intent. It, it's a source of pride for a lot of guys, especially among the among the friends that have gotten to know each other and say, hey, I became the first one to be a Florida Gator. I sent my letter of intent in first, and this year it was TJ Searcy. So to you, what does it mean uh, for, for kids to be able to say, I was the first? And what do you think it says about Searcy, and, and uh, what, you know, what do you think of that badge of honor? Well, I guess that means he's an early riser, right? I mean, he had his letter in before I think a lot of us were up this morning. So kudos to him for for getting up early and getting that done and then going about his day. So looking forward to having a guy like that in the program who just discipline, you know, up at the crack of dawn, strikes me as a guy that's ready to get to work and is excited to be a Gator. This is a guy who was actively recruiting on a lot of on-campus visits during the fall at games. I actually saw him in person at tailgates recruiting some guys like Dejon Johnson, who ended up in the class signing today. So TJ Searcy has been a fantastic recruit. He was a guy that we battled several big schools for, including Clemson. I think it was probably the biggest competition for him. So I love that he just wanted to join the class so quickly and, and get things rolling and be the first guy in this morning. Yeah, I, I love it too. I mean, it's it's not like kids like getting up that early uh, because they don't. A lot of the times they are up because they have you know six a.m. weight lift and stadium steps, so they they kind of just have to do it. But to to willingly get up and send in your letter of intent when you could easily do it three or four hours later. I mean, Jaden Rashada waited, although granted he's three hours behind us, but you know he and and Dijon Johnson and Aaron Gates waited until after the sun had gone down today to do it. So the fact that he was willing to wake up and start his day that early to get it in says a lot about him. And, and like you said, ready, readiness to get to work. So speaking of, he is one of some 20 plus guys that have done that today. Chris, um, I think we'll, 
I mean, I think the way to go with this is just to to get the bad stuff out of the way first, because there is some good stuff. There's a lot of good stuff to talk about, but got to start with the one guy that was a member of our class, at least in a technical standpoint, that no longer is Isaiah Nixon. Um, if you want to call it a flip, I guess, you know, you can. Uh, but he was a member of the Gators recruiting class entering today, no longer has that status as he has flipped back to Central Florida from where he initially came uh, Chris, what do you make of the flip? And is it really that big of a loss for Florida? Well, Isaiah Nixon is a is a talented player. You know, he does have a good high school film. He's a four-star prospect, top 300 player. But I think it's very telling that, according to a lot of sources within the program, Florida did not even send him a letter of intent to sign today. So I think that that kind of tells all of us really where the staff felt at the end of that. And, and we'll get into this a little more tonight, but you just look at this class. There were not a lot of reaches. The staff didn't want to reach for certain prospects, and they want to preserve roster spots for the best players to come into the program. And it just – that action of not sending a letter of intent strikes me as the staff just saying, you know what, if you have a better situation down in Orlando, it's a good program for you. By all means, recommit to them, and we'll go on and, and, and find somebody better to fill the slot. And – I think it's a win-win for both programs. Florida gets to fill that spot with somebody they really want. And Isaiah Nixon gets to go to a program that's joining the Big 12 next year, Power 5 football. And, you know, it's a good gift for UCF. But I wouldn't say that this is as big of a recruiting win as, say, John Walker was for UCF. Florida legitimately wanted John Walker, a top 100 defensive tackle prospect, somebody that Florida truly wanted. That, to me, is a bigger loss than this. So if I, if I had to pick between which one I'd rather had, I would have rather had John Walker than Isaiah Nixon. So I, I don't think Florida necessarily at the end of it really wanted him in the class just by the action of not sending a letter of intent. I thought it was very telling when he, I think it was in the in the Hayes-Fawcett tweet that announced that he'd flip back to UCF. The last little little line in that tweet says, I thought I had a lot better of a relationship with the Central Florida staff and the Florida staff. Well, that tends to happen when the Florida staff doesn't send you a letter of intent on signing day. Yeah. And then there, then there's the aspect of, and I, I say the same thing about John Walker, Florida would have loved to have had both of those guys, <clears throat> but TJ Searcy, Will Norman, Kelby Collins, Gavin Hill, Cameron James. You're going to talk about adding John Walker or Isaiah Nixon to that class. Yes, the defensive line is absolutely a position of need. By all means, Florida should have gone heavy at that position, and oh, they did. But at a certain point, I mean, Chris, you know how the game of football works. You can't play seven defensive linemen. You can't even well, rotate seven defensive linemen in. So it's not like Florida is is hurting by not having those guys. It would have been great gets. It would have been nice to have them, but it feels like more of Florida did not get a luxury then Florida did not get guys that they needed. Well, and I think also to know, uh, Caleb Banks is a transfer that's coming into the program, and it does look like Florida is still actively pursuing additional defensive linemen through the transfer portal. So if you're going to go out and get an edge rusher or another defensive lineman or maybe an outside linebacker, which is kind of, I think, what Isaiah Nixon sort of projected as at Florida – Better to get an experienced player maybe in the portal who's a little more developed. Isaiah Nixon is what we would probably refer to as a tweener. We recruited a lot of tweeners during the Dan Mullen era. We saw how that worked on the defense. It's not good for, I think, our defensive scheme that we're running with Patrick Tony. And he's a guy that would have definitely had to get in a college weight room, lift weights. He's going to have to do that regardless being at UCF. But in the SEC and at Florida – it would have been a lot longer of a time period before he truly would have made an impact on the field. And as when you're flipping a 40% of a roster, you need to make sure that you're filling those roster spots with players that could potentially come in and contribute early. And Isaiah Nixon just was, I, I think, honestly, if you look up and down our prospect list who committed today and signed, he would have been the one that actually, I think, sticks out as somebody that one of the least likely players to actually come in and contribute. So I think that that factor definitely into the decision down the stretch. And Florida is not done adding defensive linemen. I think this is a this is a unit that we truly can continue to pack that room full of guys, build depth because we've had some attrition there this offseason. Gervon Dexter going to the league, Galen Lee transferring back home to LSU last night, and 
we we've had some injuries there over the past couple of years. So I think it's a it's a position, it's a line of scrimmage league. We need guys, but we need to make sure they're the right guys. I agree with you, and I don't think that Isaiah Nixon would have been the wrong guy, or or John Walker would have been the wrong guy. I just think that Florida got five guys on that defensive line that are as good, if not better, than those guys. And and look at it the other way too. Isaiah Nixon is going to look at that class and go, "Well, I'm going to be in this class with five other guys who are all really, really good. I'm not going to say he's scared of playing time, but at the very least, he." I mean, he has eyes. He knows how to read a depth chart. He knows how to read a commitment class, right, or a recruiting class, right? Like, he knows that there are going to be five other guys in that class at least before you get into the transfer portal, before you even enter in a Caleb Banks. So he has to have been thinking, at least in part, where do I have the better chance to play right away? It's probably going to be at Central Florida, where, yes, they have John Walker, but they don't have a plethora of guys, all of four-star caliber, by the way, who are also committed in that same class. Again, not throwing shade at him. He's a very good player. He can make a big impact at Central Florida. And I think if Florida didn't have, you know, two of those other five guys committed, like say say you take out Will Norman and TJ Searcy, and you just have the other three, I think he could have come to Florida and produced for the Gators. But it feels like a situation where within two years max, at least one or two of those guys would transfer out just because they're not playing because you can't, because you know, as well as I do, like you just said, Florida will go the portal route. Florida will also hammer away at that position next cycle because you have to do that because games are won and lost in the trenches. So it feels like a situation where if not now, it would have been later where someone, I'm not saying it would have been Nixon, but someone would not be happy with their lack of playing time and transfer out. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And I think with this, this this staff is very selective in who they brought in. And I think that was important to do. And I'm really pleased. I think this defensive line class that we've got was very good. And I'm excited to see who they also bring to the portal. Yeah. Well, I, we gotta we gotta wait a little bit longer for that. But uh, as far as the guys that we have right now, the early enrollees go. The defensive line, obviously, a big piece of that. You know, twenty guys that that signed a quarter of them were on the defensive line. That's very telling. That Florida and its staff knew that they had a weakness there. They went out and addressed it. They probably got more than they needed to get by getting six guys. One of them winds up leaving the class for the reasons we just talked about. Um, but coming into the day, Chris, we we talked about the fact that we thought that there would be two pieces of bad news today, potentially, uh, for the Gators. We thought Isaiah Nixon going to UCF would be one of them. We thought the other one we could see, we didn't call it, we didn't call our shot here, but we thought it could happen was Andy Jean flipping from Florida to FSU after Florida did a lot of work to take him away from the Miami Hurricanes, this did not happen. And on a day that Florida didn't really get a lot of wins on the on the trail, I, I wouldn't call this a victory, but I I'd call it a hold of surf. Like it it wasn't like Florida got broken in the talking about a tennis match. It wasn't like Florida lost a kid that FSU wanted. They they were after him pretty hard, and they didn't get him. So how big of a victory do you think that is for the Gators and? Uh, yeah, I mean, what what do you make of the recruitment process as it went down in its final hours today? Well, to contrast what happened with Isaiah Nixon, had we lost Andy Jean, that truly would have been a loss. It would have been a big loss for the class. Wide receiver is a major position of need. We need playmakers to come in there and contribute early because we have no idea what that room is going to look like next year. We still don't know officially if Ricky Pierce-Hall is coming back next year. So, and Andy Jean's tape. If you look at it, it is incredible. I I don't understand how the outlets have still have this guy not even ranked inside the top three hundred. I'm really hoping before it's all said and done, when all when the final consensus and composite comes out, he finds himself inside that because he is that talented of a player. He was do he's from South Florida, Northwestern High School in Miami, played the best, the best, highest division football in all of Florida, and dominated players week in and week out on the field. So it would have been a major loss for Florida had we lost Andy Gene to a rival that we play every single year. So thank goodness we didn't lose him. And definitely a shout out to Kerry Colbert here as a recruiter. He brought in a fantastic receivers class and 
did a great job closing this recruitment at the very end. I think it's well known. Andy Jean had a good relationship with Kerry Colbert, and he is the reason why he remained in the class at the 11th hour. It was close. It was 50-50 at the end of this. It could have gone the other way. But Florida, they held serve today, like you mentioned. They did not get – outside of Isaiah Nixon, if you really want to call that a, a flip, I, I, I just truly don't think the staff cared. But they kept all the guys in the class they wanted. Alabama tried until the last hour to get Kelby Collins to flip. I mean, there were other schools going after our top talent at the last hour before signing day. And the fact that we could not afford to lose any more guys. We knew we weren't going to have any additional signings today, very likely, which came to, to fruition. And we'll see what happens tomorrow with Jordan Hall and Desmond Ricks. But we knew that very likely we're not going to be adding any more high school players. And it was imperative that we kept everybody in the class that we had. We did that. And you contrast that, Florida State lost a top 100 player in Kelder Falk today. Huge loss for them. That is, a, that is a program that still is struggling to recruit at the high school level. And this could have been a big win for them and it ended up not being. And I don't I don't want to deflect and say, yeah, well, for as, as bad as it is to, you know, to all the people who are upset with Florida's you know, final class. And we'll talk about that in a moment because I have some gripes with it. But just for a second, Florida... In, after going six and six in a class that fans are not happy with, still ran rings around FSU. FSU, think about their day. Talk about Keldrick Falk. They they lost their bid to steal Andy Gene away. They wanted him. That was close. That got down to a coin flip at the very end. Didn't happen. Cedric Baxter, that didn't happen. <clears throat> so FSU still finds itself outside the top 20 as of this recording. In the class of 2023, Florida is, I don't think, in any danger of losing anybody at this point because they're all signed. I mean, I guess in theory, someone could say, oh, I made a mistake. I want to you know, undo my letter of intent. But that that's very rare. So we'll, we'll, we'll assume that all 20 guys who are signed, still delivered are going to be members of the class. And FSU is 21, whereas Florida is 12. This is, this is a class that people are, are unhappy with for Florida. And they ran rings around FSU. We're out recruiting FSU after year three, a successful year for FSU for them, and six and six, a bad year for Billy Napier in his bump class. So think about that. It definitely could be a lot worse. Yeah, no, I, I think it it could be. And that says a lot. Recruiters recruit. And that says a lot about this staff to be able to close on, I think, some really talented players. And – yeah, we're, we're beating Mike Norfell in the trail, which, you know, I think we knew that wasn't going to be hard to do. Let's be honest. He showed what he could do in his first two years. He never out-recruited Dan Mullen. He certainly is not going to out-recruit Mario Cristobal. That's really who our competition is here in state, clearly. And, and that's who we need to strive to beat out in future classes. But, yeah, I mean, this is a rival we play annually. So we need to beat them in recruiting. We're doing that emphatically. And I think that we're going to match them probably on the trail. They had some good ad, I'm sorry, in the transfer portal. They had some good ads via the portal this past week, or they added to their offensive line. But, you know, the transfer portal isn't everything. It, it, there there are a lot of misses in the portal because what, whenever you bring in that amount of guys from different programs, different cultures, and then you try to mesh it into one melting pot of your own, it doesn't always work out. And Miami saw that a couple of years ago with Manny Diaz when they had a big infusion of transfers. Michigan State has gone that route, too. It worked for one year. It didn't work the next year for Mel Tucker. Florida this year, the majority of the guys are going to be bringing in are going to be of the high school level, the freshmen. Yes, we're going to have to hit the transfer portal pretty hard. We're going to have to take more transfers this year than we did last year just because we've had a lot more guys transfer out. But I'm pretty confident that we're going to be able to fill the holes with some good guys in the in the portal, as we're already starting to see, and we'll get into tonight. But our class is primarily made up of high school players and talented high school players. At that, we have a a sixty percent top three hundred rate on two four seven and sixty five percent on on three. So that that's one of the highest rates hit rates we've had in over a decade. And Florida State is just not even sniffing it. The other thing about the portal that's probably worth pointing out too is that. It's 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 a great thing that you can take a piece here or there that you're missing from the portal and use it to just 
you know, plug and play. And because that was the one missing piece that you filled, now you're a championship team. It's a great thing to fill voids, or I should say a void, a hole here or there. Florida 2019, perfect example. John Grenard, excellent transfer portal take for the Gators. The majority of that team, not transfer portal guys. They recruited them themselves out of high school. Either Mullen or McElwain staff recruited that team out of high school. Grenard came in, filled a role. Florida, great year, 11-2, and two, finished in the top 10, New Year's Six Bowl, New Year's Six Bowl win. I think they finished 7-1, and one, poll 6 another. That's an example of the team having most of what it already needed to do what it was supposed to do on the field. Missing one piece here, grabbing it through the portal, and completing the puzzle. It is not a reliable method for building a roster. You cannot rely on that to become a championship caliber team. It is a Band-Aid. Band-Aids can work. You know, if you have, if you have a little cut, you can have a Band-Aid slapped over it and you're going to be fine. But if you have more than just one or two holes here or there and they're pretty pretty gaping and they're pretty gruesome, just gushing wounds like this Florida program does have, that's not going to work. So that's why Florida, I think, needed to take more guys than it did in the in the high school ranks. They lost out in a lot of battles that are hurting right now. We did not get a guy like Quay Rousseau. We did not get a James Smith. We did not get Cormani McLean. That, by the way, one of the craziest recruitments I can remember in a long time. He might wind up at Colorado. We don't have time to talk about that tonight. But Florida lost out on a lot of these guys. And I think had they gotten, I'd feel a lot better about this class. Not because it's outside the top 10. It's because we're going to now have to go to the transfer portal to get another 10, 12 guys, Chris. That's that's my worry, that Florida, yes, quality over quantity. I do believe that. But at some point, you need a certain baseline quantity to have to have the roster that, that you want. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. What we're going to do this year in taking probably 10 to 15 transfers, I would speculate, is it's not cannot be something that's permanent. We're going to have to start taking full recruiting classes for the majority from the high school ranks, 20 to 30 area. And then, like you say, plug in the voids where necessary, where you could not fill at the high school level, or you have a guy that goes NFL early, whatever it may be. The transfer portal is a great thing in that respect, but it should be a Band-Aid. It should not be something you build the foundation of your program under. And I think Billy Napier understands that. I think what this staff is doing, though, is they're not going to reach for kids and fill this roster full of guys who might end up leaving the program prematurely, end up being bad fits in the locker room culturally as you're building your program up. Florida is being very strategic about the players that they're taking, and that's why we're seeing some of, you know, maybe an underwhelming number of recruits, but a quality amount. And I, and I think they're going to be very picky in the portal as well. I, I don't see them taking a guy for the sake of taking a guy. I think this staff, the way that they recruit and the way they bring guys in the program is probably content with taking, having less than 85 scholarship players if it means having a better locker room. I, I think that that might be the case. We'll see. But I, I would agree. The portal should be a temporary thing. Us taking 10 to 15 guys this coming year is a temporary thing. It should not be the only thing. And just, just to that point of quality over quantity, just wanted to point out that this, this is before Cormani McLean goes anywhere. As of right now, he is still committed to the Miami Hurricanes. Florida's class average is still a, a full tenth of a point higher than Miami's is. Again, before Cormani leaves, if that winds up happening between when this is recorded and published or if this – you know, if Cormani flips four hours after this is published and this is outdated, fine. Then you can, you know, we can redo the math. But with Cormani McLean still in the Canes class, Florida's class average is still a full tenth of a point higher, according to 2.7 Sports. And I'm the guy that sits here and says, well, the ratings and the numbers aren't an exact science. And I stand by that point. They're not. But that just goes to show, to Chris's point, Florida's not picky. Florida will not fill in their class with. I think uh, my, my friend in Charlotte used this word. Uh, he, he called it custard, just just filling, just filling for the sake of filling, not filling with any you know nutritional substance, just filling it to fill it. Florida's not going to do that. 
Miami will look at all the three stars that are committed to Miami, including a guy in uh, in Tommy Kinsler that Florida had committed, did not want, and and quote unquote allowed to flip to Miami. So that's that. Now, Florida fans, though, I think have a right to be unhappy with a lot of uh, with a lot of misses in this class, and the fact that Florida's ranked outside the top 10 in the 247 sports composite rankings is an indication or I should say is a direct reflection of the fact that they do have so many misses in this class. So Chris, the the short way to synopsize this is it is a good class. We're not going to complain. It's not a terrible class. It's, you know, top 20 pretty comfortably. FSU cannot say the same thing. So it's not a bad class, but Florida hired Billy Napier to not just recruit not badly, not to recruit better than Dan Mullen, but Florida hired him to recruit much better than Dan Mullen, potentially and hopefully at a maximum to recruit better than Kirby Smart, than Nick Saban, than Brian Kelly. That's not happening. That's not close to happening. If you look at the statistics, if you look at those rankings, Georgia, LSU, and Alabama are running rings around Florida right now. So again, not a terrible class. It's it's got some good in it, but is that good enough? No, it's not good enough. We we definitely, while this is a good class, we've got, like I mentioned, 60 to 65 percent top 300 blue chip rate, or I'm sorry, top 300 hit rate, 85 percent blue chip ratio, whatever it is now, uh, now that I think it might be closer to 90% because we we lost, uh, or no, probably like lower than 80% now. But nonetheless, it's a good class on paper. It's not a great class. It's not an elite class. What it's missing is that top-end elite talent. And I remember writing an article on the website several months ago now saying what the class needed to be. And one of the benchmarks is we needed to get two five-stars. We needed to get six top 100 players. And we needed to get uh, over 60% of top 300 uh, players. We hit on that. We did not hit on the the top 100. We only have four committed top 100 players. And we only ha- we don't have any five stars. That's what we're missing from this class. Jaden so, Rashada? Wait a minute. Isn't Rashada yeah, five? Jaden Rashada is not a composite five-star. Oh, come on. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So Jaden Rashada is a five-star on, uh, on 247 on some other sites, but he's not a composite or consensus five-star, you know, he's a good, he's a great player. And I think if you look at the tape, you can make an argument that he should be a composite five-star. Same with Kamari Wilson last year, similar situation. But Florida is lacking in that top-end elite talent in the top 50, in the top 30. And that's where Alabama, Georgia, Miami even, are just in Texas, are racking up the talent in this class. And Florida had their opportunities to get those players this cycle. We were in it for Cedric Baxter. We were in it for Cormani McLean. We were, you know, we got Koala saw James Smith to campus a couple of times. We did not get a guy like Malik Bryant, who's a, who's a definitely a high four-star linebacker, top 50 player. We missed on a lot of guys. And, I mean, Desmond Ricks is still out there tomorrow. Very likely it looks like it's an LSU-Alabama battle. There's some smoke that Florida still feels confident they could win this. I, I don't see it. Neil and Dustin don't see it either. I, I believe he's going to be going to an SEC West school. So Florida is likely to be without a five-star. And that is where we ultimately have to be in order to get to where we to, – to win championships. Florida next year already has a big five-star committed in DJ Lagway, the most important position on the field, potentially a game-changer at, at, at our program. And he'll compete with Jaden Rashada – for the starting job, we need more of those players of his caliber to join our class. We're off to a very good start next year. I mean, two-thirds of the class, three guys committed, are top 30 players. And that, that, that is a fantastic thing. Obviously, we have to hold them, but we're going to need more of those guys. We're going to need a class that resembles that trend in the, the in, in the months to come for us to take that next step. So next year has to be an elite class. Otherwise, we're really two years away. Every time you sign an elite class, you're potentially two years away from potentially winning a championship because those guys within about year two should could theoretically contribute to your team, your roster. And 
if, unless you pull it in, though, you're not going to get there. So I think Florida's going to have to get an elite class, next, elite class next year to have a shot to maybe compete in, in 2025 for a championship. That's the kind of rebuild we're looking at. I know Gator fans don't necessarily want to hear it. Gator fans this week were, were, were sounding alarm bells everywhere. There was a lot of bad news on the airwaves. We got to calm down and we got to realize this is going to take a long time to rebuild in the right way. This is this isn't a roster that was full of good evaluations. It was a roster full of bad takes. We talk about how the staff isn't taking you know reaches or bad players. We're we're not doing that anymore. And Dan Mullen did, and we're and that's why we are in the situation that we are. Yeah, uh, I mean, I I agree. All those points that you made, and going all the way back to the article you wrote, uh, the the well, well, the one thing I disagree with there is that I can make a very good argument that Florida does have two elite players. You can call them five stars. You can call them, I don't know what's what's the number that makes them a five star on two four seven, like ninety eight seven or so. I, I can I can make an argument that Florida has two guys that should be five stars in Jaden Rashada and Kelby Collins. Could also make an argument for Aiden Mizell, but. That's beside the point. I have a completely different gripe with this with this class. Where are the monster offensive linemen? You lose Lucas Simmons. You lose Samson Okunola. You lose Monroe Freeland. Roderick Kearney, that's that's great. That's one. Bryce Lovett could be something there. You know, don't know. Harris, another one, could be something of value there. You missed on almost every single elite offensive lineman you had your hand in the you're, you had your hat in the ring for that is unacceptable if florida is going to have two offensive line coaches you know again i give them credit for roderick kearney i'm not going to just completely gloss over that that was a big flip a big haha fu to fsu that's all well and good but you missed on every other offensive lineman that florida really really wanted and could have made an impact for the gators and on the on the defense too you can say the same thing Malik Bryant, that's a bad miss. Uh, Samuel Mpemba to Georgia, that's a bad miss. Uh, or not a bad miss, but it's it's one that hurts. It's it's a painful miss. Um, Damon Wilson from, I think, Trey Burton's high school. I think he had a nice relationship with Burton. Uh, not, not I mean, they're different ages, but they had a nice little like mentorship going. Missed on him. Went to Georgia also. That has to stop happening. If Florida is going to be taken seriously – as SEC contenders, you have to land these big-time players at these positions. Linebacker is admittedly less important than the, than the defensive line, which Florida definitely, you know, check that box off. But the offensive line misses are going to be critical because Florida, yes, they return a lot from their offensive line last year. They do lose their best offensive lineman. But as we talked about off-air, and I guess we can talk about it at some point in the not-too-distant future, Florida can overcome that by committee florida's got offensive linemen throughout its roster that, that are that are good enough to step up and fill that void they won't be as good as osiris torrents they won't be all americans they won't get breaks but florida will survive that but chris fact of the matter is these misses are concerning yeah no i mean i i, I would agree the offensive line was a little underwhelming we took some good prospects. We still might get one more in Caden Jones. He's going to decide in January and early enroll. Uh, he's deciding at the All-American game. You know, I think he's a guy that's probably going to have to develop. Same with Bryce Lovett. Roger Kearney is a guy that could definitely contribute in year one. He, he has some, a very good high school tape. Actually, in fact, Billy Napier raved about it as maybe one of the best tapes in the entire class. You listened to his press conference earlier today. Well, you're right. Th this class lack some of that top-end talent. We were very much in it for Lucas Simmons. We were very much in it for Okunlula. You know, we lost on a lot of other guys. Uh, Moiagua, also another Miami five-star offensive lineman commit, he wanted to take a visit to Florida, and then Miami kind of put a stop to that, put a kibosh to that after he, he came for one weekend. We need to close a little bit better. We have two offensive line coaches. There, there shouldn't be an excuse for why we're not producing – Top end offensive line talent. So, and now we're going to have to hit the portal, I think, for probably another guy or two in that department. But fortunately, we do have a lot of guys returning next year, guys with experience at that position. But in next class, we're going to have to hit. And we're going to have to hit up linebacker. I think linebacker, honestly, was a bigger miss. You know, we talk about a lot of the issues we had this year with the defense. A lot of it goes back to the linebacker position. We have some guys that are going to, I believe, contribute very well next year at that position. And Scooby Williams, Derek Wingo, 
as well as uh, Shamar James, Shamar James, who was in last year's class. And then Jaden Robinson is, has a very good tape. <laughs> Billy Napier actually mentioned this too in his press conference. I don't know if anybody knew this. He scored a defensive touchdown in seven consecutive high school games this season. I, I don't know if I've ever heard that. I mean, that is incredibly rare for the odds of that to happen are, have got to be slim. So that's a guy that has a good knack for being in the right place at the right time and then making a play. I would love to go back and actually watch the high school film and see these seven uh, defensive touchdowns and how he was able to pull it off. But we we missed at the linebacker position we, this cycle. We've missed guys on like Raylan Williams, Troy Bowles out of Tampa, uh, Malik Bryant from Miami. That that was a those were some big misses that could have made a big difference in this class. So those are the guys we've got to hit on next cycle. You know, we don't have to hit on all of them, but we have to start hitting on some of them in order to to really take that next step. Yeah, we absolutely do. And and we will have time to talk about this because as Steve Spurrier says, it's talking season, or as Dan Mullen would call it, recruiting season, because it's the offseason now. We'll have time to talk about what we can do in the next class. And rest assured, it's got to be a lot better. I mean, Chris and I are not going to sit here and act like we're just missing a piece here or there. It wasn't just one or two or three misses even that separates Florida as it is now from where we all believe that they should be. No, Florida was about nine or ten misses away because, you know, we talked about this, Chris, how Florida, this is the last year that you can take up to 32 kids because of the COVID extension rules. You don't, you're not going to get that luxury next year or beyond that. So we were talking about how Florida was going to stockpile its, its recruiting class with up to 32 different high four, you know, five-star kids out of, out of high school. And now we're going to have to do that filler stuff where we go to the portal and get all these band-aids as we talked about earlier. So it has to be a lot better next year. Florida cannot miss on all these guys next year. You know, the next, next year's Malik Bryant, Florida can't miss next year's Francis Molly Goa, Florida can't miss on, uh, and, and they have to continue to win the battles that they, that they have won this year for you know the middle of the road or high four-star guys, but not necessarily five stars like Will Norman, like TJ Searcy, have to continue to hold serve there and win at the next level. So uh Chris, we do have a good class though, as we talked about. Uh, you know, we can debate is good good enough. We say no, it is not, because we look at LSU, Georgia, and Alabama. They've all done better than Florida, but it is still a good class. There is still a lot to like about this class. So Let's talk about that as we did last year. We'll we'll wrap up this class with some some superlatives. Uh, the first one is the biggest recruiting win. In other words, which kid did we flex our muscle most on the recruiting trail to to pull in? I would definitely say it was Jaden Rashada. Jaden Rashada was a guy that we. Lost out on in the summer. It, you, everybody remembers the the sky was falling attitude, and that still hasn't gone away in some respects. But the, in that moment, back in late June, early July, it appeared that the sky was falling when we lost Jaden Rashada. It, we thought we had him after his visit. He visits Miami nine days later, pushes his commitment back, and ultimately gets to Miami. And then out of nowhere, in the middle of the night, as we're sleeping, Hugh Hathcock sends out the bat signal, and Jaden Rashada is a Florida Gator by morning right before the South Carolina game. And that was months of Florida going after and pursuing Jaden Rashada and continuing to not give up and building upon that relationship that they had. And they made it happen. That that was a huge win to get him, pull him from Miami, away from Miami, and get him to be our headliner of the class, signal caller of the future, potentially in orange and blue. I mean, it's going to be very hard for me to disagree with that. I'm going to make a case for the second in line for that title, though, and I'll say Roderick Kearney. Florida went and took him away from FSU, which the, the way he was talking about Florida, the way he committed to the Knowles right after a Florida visit kind of left a sour taste in Florida's mouth. Maybe he didn't really think the highest of the Gators program or the Gators staff, but the Gators stuck with him. The Gators kept recruiting him. The Gators kept the pressure on and they were able to make that flip happen. Anytime you flip a kid away from the Seminoles, it is going to be sensational because, you know, Florida FSU is 
probably the biggest rivalry aside from maybe Georgia. So that one felt the best. Uh, but Jaden Rashada, I mean, the, the, the sheer shock of it, the middle of the night, the way that we lost him initially, all that has to make him number one. I'm just making the claim for Kearney to be number two in that department. Okay, so that was our biggest recruiting win. Best overall player in the recruiting class. That's a little bit more difficult. I, gosh, I would say I'm going to go Kelby Collins. I think when you just turn on his high school tape, he dominates everybody on the field. His his statistics, I remember we sent out a graphic of this in the recruiting handle a while ago, but it is it was just obscene for a senior year. And I, I just think he's going to be a physical specimen when he gets to the SEC. He will push people around and make plays in the backfield, at the line of scrimmage, all over the place. And I, I think he, when we look back, he's the type of guy that potentially has an impact to be an all-conference player early on in his career at Florida. I mean, it's not a secret. Bama wanted him. Bama really wanted this kid in their class. So I, I definitely think there's a reason because of, because of that, and, and that's because he's just a very talented player. So I'm going to say Kelby Collins is the most talented player in the class. I guess maybe you could also make an argument for him to be the best recruiting win just because he grew up a Bama fan. He's from the state of Alabama. Alabama really wanted him. His parents are big Bama fans. They really would have liked for him to go to Alabama. But despite all that, it, it was the Florida Gators for him. I'm going to say Aiden Mizell, and it's – it's difficult. It, Jaden Rashad is the one that I think is going to – I see, I don't know. It, I, I'm, I'm torn between Jaden Rashada and Aiden Mizell. I want to say I think that Jaden Rashada will be the one that has the biggest impact on the Gators, but that's kind of skewed because he's the quarterback, so of course he's going to at that position. I think if you're just strictly talking best talent available, I, I love Rashada as a quarterback. I really think Aiden Mizell is that. Uh, Kelby Collins has a great argument, but Aiden Mizell can he can take the top off a of defense in a way that I don't think a Florida receiver really could since maybe since the Urban Meyer days. Uh, maybe maybe Callaway, I guess you could say. Um, but I mean Florida, even with that that ridiculous core that they had um in, in the Mullen years where they had Tyree Cleveland, Josh Hammond, they had Freddie Swain, um, and and then you know the year after that they have Trayvon Grimes. Uh, Van Jefferson uh, doing pitch with a tight end, but Kadarius Tony, none of them, I don't think, had the straight, the straight burner speed that Aiden Mizell has. And he's got hands on top of it. The the root running is very good too. He's he's going to be a problem right away. And I mean, I gave a number two for the last category, so I'll give one here. Eugene Wilson, another one that I think can come in and make a big impact for the Florida Gators. Maybe not necessarily the complete receiver that Mizell is, but he can be a big time problem and very quickly for the Gators. So that is, or those are, I should say my, my best overall players. Although I, again, I have to say Kelby Collins and Rashada definitely have legitimate arguments for that. Uh, I guess I kind of took away my next, my next superlative, but uh, most likely to play right away for the Florida Gators and make an immediate impact. Yeah. that That's who I was struggling with. I really think Eugene Wilson. Yeah is that guy he's a guy that can be a punt returner kick returner slot guy i mean i just think he is a complete athlete he will flash in spring he uh or whenever he gets i don't think, actually think he's one of the guys that's not really enrolling in the spring but i just think when he gets to campus and gets into camp and starts working out with the team he's going to show up in practice and guys are going to uh they're going to talk about how he's a standout early just because of his just that freak athletic ability. You know, we talk about a guy like a Kadarius Tony or a Percy Harvin, that sort of game changer. I think he has that potential. And guys like that get on the field early. Percy Harvin played as a freshman. Kadarius Tony played as a freshman. I think Eugene Wilson is good. They're going to find a way to get this guy on the field because he's just so freakishly athletic. So I'm going to double dip here. And for this, a lot of the same reasons that they're going to overlap. A lot of the same reasons why I said Aiden Mizell is the most talented. Uh, I'm going to say and just copy and paste them in here as the guy I think plays right away because Florida has a big need there. I tried to keep the analysis different in the two different categories here, but I think that Mizell is the most talented from a, a strictly best talent available 
like we were talking about in the NFL draft. You, you draft best talent available. I think he is the most talented kid that Florida has. I also think because of the weakness at wide receiver, especially with Justin Shorter moving on, Florida is going to have a big vacuous hole there on that depth chart that I think three different freshmen are going to have to try to fill. We talked about Andy Jean earlier as you know a, a nice recruiting win over at FSU. We just talked about Eugene Wilson and Aiden Mizell as guys that we think can play right away and have big impacts. I think all three of these guys are going to get their chances. We talked about what Gene can do as a wide receiver. The tape is impressive. The speed is very, very, very nice to have on your side. Mizell also has that kind of speed. Wilson, very quick in his own right. more A little bit more elusive, maybe not the complete receiver as I talked about a minute ago, but three different receivers for Florida that I think can all step up and make instant impacts. I think of the three, Mizell will get first crack. I think he's going to be the hardest to keep off the field right away. So I'll go with Mizell and second and third will be Gene and Wilson just be just because of the need there. Just because of the need there. So next is best recruiting recruit, i.e., who did the best job helping the Florida staff recruit among the recruits themselves. Gotta go Trey on Webb. Trey on Webb was always the guy who was most vocal on Twitter always kind of knowing news before it was broken. And you know he was working guys behind the scenes. Uh, this is a guy that we were really lucky to get in the class when we did. We needed an infusion of, of talent and momentum. This was right after the Rashada loss at the time. And we got Trayon Webb in the class. And just from there, it just seemed like things started picking up. Right after that, we got a guy like TJ Sershi. Right after that, we got a guy like Kelby Collins, Aiden Mizell, the, uh, Jakeem Jackson, Cameron James. The recruits started coming in after – we got Tryon Webb, and I think he had a lot to do with it. So he definitely is going to get the recruiter of of, of the year award for, for amongst the recruits. Yeah, I mean, we, we do this award every year. Chris, I know it's your first year doing it, but to those new listeners, it, it may kind of seem like we just made that award up to give him a shout-out because there's so obviously going to be him. There's no one close. Like I mean, Kelby Collins was good at it too. Kelby Collins was always out there you know, tweeting out positivity for the Gators after – not so good developments. Um, you know, he he probably gets second place for this, but yeah, Trayvon Webb is is a is a runaway number one for this. Dark horse in the class for you, Chris, is who? You know, I, I'm going to go Bryce Thornton. I, if, if anybody hasn't looked at his uh, high school film yet, I actually went back and watched a little bit before tonight's show. It is very impressive. He's a flashy player, has a lot of speed, cover a lot of the field. I think he projects extremely well at the safety position. Alabama and Georgia were definitely in on that recruitment before we got him. I'm not sure if he was as high of a priority on their list because they just took so much talent in this class. But definitely a guy that was on a lot of SEC schools' radars, and we were very lucky to get him in the class when we did. I, I think that's a guy in a safety room where we're going to need playmakers. I, I think that's a room that is we talked about last show is probably not settled next year. There's going to be a lot of new guys. We, we like Kamari Wilson. We like a guy like Miguel Mitchell who's played some good snaps this year. But I think Bryce Thornton has every opportunity to come in next year as an early enrollee and potentially make some plays in the, in the back, back of the secondary. And I think it's because of his speed and athletic ability uh, to cover the field. We need that at the safety position desperately right now. So he, I'm going to go with him as a dark horse. I am going to split this award between two cornerbacks because after Cormani McLean picked Miami, there was a lot of freaking out about, well, who's our corner going to be? Especially after Desmond Ricks appeared to you know, not pick Florida and he still probably won't. I guess it's, you know, it's possible. We'll, we'll do a follow-up pod to talk about whether he does or not, but let's assume he doesn't come for that. Um, you know, for, for the sake of this, how about a tie between Jakeem Jackson and Sharif Denson? Because in this class, those, you know, those are it. That's it. Those are the cornerback options. And I happen to think that they're both very good. Their offer lists are really impressive. We talked Chris off the air about how before one of the games we went to, uh, I think it might've been Missouri that Sharif Denson was at the Gator Collective tailgate, and he was talking about, yeah, I'm a Gator, I love the Gators, but but Bama's still Bama. Bama's still Bama. I'm going to listen. They want me. I'm going to listen to what they have to say. That's the caliber of school 
That was also after Sharif Denson and Jakeem Jackson, the same thing. I mean, that, that speed, there's, there's a clip, I think, of him just absolutely frying Cormani McLean in a, in a straight foot race. Now, he's not as developed as a pure corner as Cormani McLean. No, 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 not saying that at all. But that speed he's got, meaning if he gets beat in coverage, you know, he, he takes a wrong step, he's got the pure speed to catch up and, and white it out, so to speak. There, there's talent there. There's a lot of hope there. There's a lot of upside there. And they're going to be coached by, the, as Dustin calls him, the professor of DBU, Corey Raymond, the guy that does nothing other than mold these corners into stars at the next level. So I think because of a combination of the fact that Corey Raymond is going to be coaching them up and the natural athleticism and, and physicality that I think they both bring to the table, there's there's reason to be very very hopeful for both of them uh moving forward so that's it for our superlatives chris um i think that's probably it for the recap pod of early signing day too there's still a few loose ends that have yet to be tied up we won't get those answers tonight Uh, desmond ricks being one of them who florida goes after in the portal i would love to do a little recap of what happens to cormani mcclain but we don't have that recruitment finalized yet um, but I think for the most part, this this class is done. I think we're going to add some portal guys. Maybe we get someone on the residual signing day at a high school. Maybe someone you know has cold feet and backs out of a commitment somewhere else. But I think it's fair to say that that for the most part, this recruitment, this recruiting class is finished. So, final thoughts on the class as it stands right now, because you know we talked earlier about you know is good good enough? Is you know where do we have to improve next year? But Let's let's flip that a little bit and give me give me a reason why, though we shouldn't be turning cartwheels over this class, we should be happy with it to at least a, a certain baseline degree. Like I mentioned before, I think we should be happy because there's a lot of quality in this class. Over 60 percent of it is top 300 players. We haven't posted those numbers in a decade. It's extremely high blue chip right? one of the highest in school history. The staff is very you know, tactical about who they bring in the program. And I think they're going to be tactical when they go into the portal in the next couple of weeks. We did see the addition to Graham Mertz. Uh, he has officially committed to uh, University of Florida as of this evening. He will likely be one of the favorites to win the starting job next fall. Uh, either him or Jaden Rashada will, will, will likely compete for it. And of course, Max Brown and will also probably compete for it. Jack Miller. But I, I would suspect it's either Graham Mertz or Jaden Rashada or the, the top two guys. I, I'm curious to see what they do in the portal and who they're able to convince and bring in. I, I think that that's the major key in, in the finishing up this class. There's a lot of slots to be filled. We're going to have to probably put out a breakdown of, of how much spots we, we really need uh, when the dust all settles here. I, I would imagine that they will probably find some additional guys to pursue at the residual signing day in February. There always are about 15% of prospects left over. And I, and I would imagine this staff is going to find out who those players are and see if anybody's uh, worth evaluating further and bringing on to campus for, for visits and, and potentially an offer. So it wouldn't surprise me if we maybe did sign somebody else in February, just that that's how it was last year. That was where a guy like Arles Boardingham came out of nowhere. And Arles Boardingham, I think the staff is very high on for next season to potentially play at the tight end spot. So we'll we'll see who they who they look at, but there's a lot of irons in the fire. We got Graham Mertz, we got Caleb Banks. Uh, there's a there's a report out there that we got a major linebacker transfer in Trejada uh, Mitchell yeah. Mitchell uh, from Ohio State. This is a former top 100 player. Graham Mertz is also a former top 100 player. So these are these are some former you know elite prospects at the high school ranks who you know didn't pan out. Uh, completely. I think with Mitchell, it's a case of injury. He has put a lot of great things on tape. There's some good film out there tonight floating around on Twitter. Guy's a violent player. Definitely somebody that projects at the will linebacker spot. We we would definitely need that with the loss of Ventron Miller. So I think he, if he's healthy, he would probably play. Graham Mertz. Graham Mertz, you know, I don't know there's a lot of ire about this. That I, I, He wasn't who everybody wanted. But I think if you look at where he was in his high school film, it's very good. Very strong arm. I think had some accuracy issues and that showed up at the college level, but he's been in a system where it's a heavy run offense at Wisconsin. That's what they do up up there. And he's going to come to a program now where he's going to have coaching that can potentially coach him up, 
uh, and there's going to be a lot more passing opportunities for him to develop. And sometimes when guys go to a different place and the change of scenery, it's what they need. So I think that we need to give him a chance as, as potentially the starting quarterback. And obviously his success will be, you know, help us have success in our program. So we're, we, we should be rooting for him all the way. Well, of course, his success is our success. The one thing I can't quite get past with him, though, is the completion percentage. I, I know it's not an exact science. I realize that receivers can drop passes or he can throw balls away when he's getting chased and he's avoiding a sack. I get that. But against Big Ten opponents last year, he completed 53% of his passes. Even if Florida is going to be a run-heavy team, which there's no indication that they won't be because they returned most of that offensive line along with their top two running backs, that's not good enough. That's yeah, well, not going to get the job done at Florida. Maybe you're right. Maybe the change of scenery is what he needs. Maybe that does help him take a step up. But Chris, I mean, yeah, I'm rooting for him. Of course, his success is the Gator success. I think it's going to be an uphill battle for him. I think even if we do upgrade the talent at wide receiver, which I shouldn't say if, because we do have those guys signed now, I think even with the upgraded receiver talent, it's, you know, maybe not the most sure thing that he's going to step in and, and be successful for Florida. So of course I'm rooting for it, but that completion percentage, and by the way, backed up by the tape, Right. I mean, his he's got he's got plenty of tape out there. Wisconsin's a Big Ten program. There's all kinds of condensed games out there from Wisconsin last couple of seasons. You can go on YouTube and watch the game tape backs it up. The statistic of the completion percentage is not a rogue stat like it is perfectly in line with what you see on the tape that he's not that accurate. So I'll root for him, of course. But if he is the quarterback, I think it. it it puts a it puts a cap on Florida uh, from a ceiling perspective, but you know what, Chris? Uh, we did we did upgrade some talent. We did definitely begin the process of flipping the roster. There's a lot more work to be done. And I think that 2024 class for Napier is is make or break. Now it it has to be an elite class because if it isn't, then you start to wonder. Well, has he hit his peak at Florida? Three year test, uh, but we'll see. I think that's you know I think I think that is the takeaway. That is how we leave this class and head into the 2024 cycle. There's still a big question mark. We just don't know. And we're running out of time to to know. Yeah, no, I, I would agree. I think we the 24 class is is imperative that we get a top five class, elite class. It's gonna have to have some five stars in it. And it, it's going to have to be closer to a lot more top 100 talent. It's going to have to resemble more of what the Alabamas, the Georgias, the LSUs have, because that's where we, we're going to need one to two classes of those in order to compete for a championship eventually. So we'll, we'll see. I think, I think we, we definitely are, are, we got better today. I think the program got better today. It didn't take the big step that we needed it to take in year two in recruiting, but I definitely think the players coming in are going to be big contributors early on. And I'm, I'm very intrigued to see who we do pull from the portal because I think that, that that could definitely change the outlook of how many wins we have next season. Yep, I I agree with that. And, I, and I'll say, I'm not even so concerned with the numbers and stats. I know you and Dustin, all right? That's why I have you guys because we disagree on that and it makes for, for fun discussions. But I'm not worried about what the average ranking is or what the average number is. I'm worried that we stop losing battles like Cormani McLean, like Francis Maigoa, like Samson Okunlola, like Samuel Mupemba, uh, like I mean, initially like a Roderick Kern. We, we flipped that. Uh, but we got to stop losing these battles for guys at positions of need that we really, really want. And whatever the numbers are, I don't care. Honestly, I don't. But, you know, you, you watch the tape of Francis Maigo and you say, okay, I don't need to look at a number to know that this kid is an elite talent. I don't need to look at what Cormani McLean's average star ranking is to see when I watch the tape that this is an elite player. Same with Samuel Mupemba. Same with Samson Nakunlola as an offensive lineman, which, you know, probably is the hardest position to evaluate. You don't need these numbers to know that these are elite players. 
We just have to start winning more of these battles for the guys who jump off the tape at you with the offers from Alabama, Ohio State, Oregon, Oklahoma, USC, Notre Dame, Miami, LSU, Michigan, with all those offers. You've got to start winning more of them. I think what I want to see next year is faster closes. We've had so many guys say they had great visits time and time again. But where are the commitments on those visits? You look at some of these schools like Georgia, like Alabama, like Miami, this cycle, when they got a kid on campus and they really wanted him, they closed. What I really want to see is that ability to close while they're on campus. Don't let them leave with, without uh, a public commitment. I, I I think we had a lot of silent commitments this cycle, that, and it never went public. Mark Fletcher was one. A.J. Harris was one. Cormani McClain clearly was one. There were a lot of silent commitments. Let's get those guys public faster. Let's close. Let's keep the momentum snowballing so we can content, build a great 2024 class. Yeah, I mean, and, and, that, and that just goes on to my point. You just listed two guys that I didn't even go on about, about, you know, losing these battles. But A.J. Harris, another one I probably should have mentioned. Uh, Ronel Aguero, another one. You can go on and on and on. Lucas Simmons, another one. That's my point. That's my issue. There are so many of these names. Mark Fletcher, so many of these names that Florida really, really wanted that they just kept losing out on. They kept finishing second or third on. And I'll even add, I don't think that's a Billy Napier problem. I think that the, the issue stems a little de- bit deeper than him. But I'm not going to get too well, deep into that 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 can well, of worms. You know, you know, I mean, look, NIL, it's not a secret. NIL had a huge factor in a lot of these commitments, this cycle. It's something that the staff is still, in the, the school is still adjusting to. And I think that they recognize it. And Billy Napier in in the administration are going to evaluate things and how they can improve upon their sales pitch for these players. Even said it, Billy mentioned in his press conference today, they're navigating something new with NIL, and they're also looking at how they evaluate their pitch against their rivals, how they're their their competitors, and and what works and what doesn't work. They now have two cycles of data to compare now to, and they can go into next year and use that hopefully to their advantage. So I'm eager to see how they change their approach and and tailor their their message to the recruits in 2024 because I think that's when we we'll know that things are actually changing for the better. And I, I'll admit that I kind of slid that in there awkwardly, but we we had to touch on NIL in this in this podcast. We could not completely, you know, leave it out. But the, the, the fix for it is going to be more difficult than we can possibly get into in this pod. I'm sure at some point in the offseason, we'll talk about more about what the strategy could be to get NIL to be a strength for the Gators. Obviously, there's uh, there's it's in a state of limbo right now, I think is the, the quickest and fairest way to put it right now. The NIL situation for Florida is currently in purgatory. It needs to be figured out, needs to be figured out quickly so we can use it to our advantage in the next class. But I think that right now that is... Certainly, for the purposes of this podcast, fair to say was something that was hurting the Gators and something that needs to be figured out so we can use it to help us in the next cycle. Yeah, I don't. And, and one last thing I'll add is I don't think that the good thing with Florida is that they're in a position where they have the best new facilities in college football. Staff is not a problem. This is a staff that recruits 24 7, 365. They have a great support staff, they have a top five university, they have incredible athletic program. They, they have all the, the the right combination of things. What they're missing is the biggest component now that changed overnight, which is NIL. And once that's figured out, if they can catch up there, then the sky's the limit for what they can accomplish. Because I do think that a lot of people, a lot of recruits would have actually chosen to play for Billy Napier that we did not get if NIL didn't exist. I think Billy Napier would have had a top five class this cycle if NIL did not exist. But the fact of the matter, it does. And they're going to have to adjust this offseason. They're in the administration is going to have to continue to support Billy in the best way possible so he can be successful in that realm. Yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I agree with that pretty much wholeheartedly. Uh, I think that's about to do it for the in all kinds of weather forecast for our post and or our post signing day. I almost said post NIL. <laughs> we'll never get to that point that NIL is here to stay. I'm exhausted. Uh, full day of travel. Gators kind of terrible last night. That definitely was a late night. And 
I'm tired and, and my my word retrieval is not where it's supposed to be. But um, anyway, yeah, thanks for listening to this episode of the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. If you enjoyed, please give us a five-star rating and a nice review on Apple Podcasts. We would definitely appreciate that. Chris, uh, it's been fun, man. It's been fun having you on. I think that's that that's a wrap for season one for you uh, with us and the All Kinds of Weather Forecast. It's been fun. Here's to many more, and here's to many more that have more positivity for us to talk about. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, definitely wishing everybody, uh, I guess, Happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to all of our listeners out there. It's a great time of year to to uh, celebrate and the, the year successes and, and do it with family and friends. So uh, best wishes to everybody this time of year. Yes, sir. We'll have more content coming out soon, y'all. Uh, hopefully we get some nice guests. Chris and I have been working on one. Hopefully we can we can roll it out just before or just after the new year. But until then, y'all stay safe, stay healthy. Go Gators, chomp on. We will push forward and we will get through this this less than great time in basketball and and through these question marks on the recruiting trail. But it's always great to be a Florida Gator, and we look forward to bringing you more content soon.